Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We had an exciting Shabbos this past Shabbos here at Jew in the City, and a division of Jew in the City known as Project Makom. We held our second Shabbaton uh, since we founded this initiative, which helps former and questioning Haredi Jews, but now people are saying, is that the right term? Is it right-wing? Is it ultra-Orthodox? We're not really sure what to call it. People that came from a part of the Orthodox world that felt a little bit too closed off and who want to remain from but want a little more access to the larger world and to secular education. So we started an initiative for people in this uh, camp who did not want to become totally secular but who want more access. Um, the Shabbaton had 90 people plus a wait list. Um, it was tremendously successful. A lot of people got to ask a lot of great questions and meet with other like-minded people. Our events team, Khani uh, Waxler of Bud's Events Designs and uh, Shoshi Manella of the Five Towns did an incredible job with flowers and catering and decor. And now that we're taking about three seconds to relax and rest from that, we are about to gear up for another big event because we like to just never stop around here. And we've got the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards now at the end of the month. Um, if you've listened before, you're aware that every year for the last four years, we name 10 Orthodox Jews who are at the top of their professional fields, law and government, business and industry, arts and entertainment, and science and medicine, who, while they're in the tops of these fields, remain observant to Shabbos, to Kashras, to Yom Tov, learning Torah, and we honor them and we publicize their stories and their journeys for really many reasons. One is to show the less observant crowd that if they wanted to increase their observance or their commitment to Jewish tradition, that there are many uh, professional fields where they can uh, you know, grow in this way and the companies and the organizations will make room for them. And the other thing is to show young, observant kids that they're allowed to have big dreams and they can do all sorts of interesting things without having to compromise on their Jewish values. And then the third reason is to show Orthodox Jews who did not have access to these types of you know, careers or educational options, that these things are happening in the Orthodox world and that, you know, maybe there's still time for them or for their children to um, to gain access to this. And to get you uh, pumped for the All-Stars event, which is Thursday, March 31st, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, we are selling tickets now on JewInTheCity.com, and we're also selling Chinese auction tickets on the site as well called the All-Stars Experience Auction, where we have packages of several of our most popular All-Stars who are giving you experiences and different prizes that no one else can get access to except for us at you in the city because of these great relationships that we have. So in order to get you pumped for this event, um, which is coming in the next few weeks, um, we brought one of our all-stars from this year on to speak with us today. He's a special reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and his name is Greg Zuckerman. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, great to be here. You know, I feel kind of ridiculous to, like, be, you know, interviewing a reporter at the Wall Street Journal yeah. because, really, what the heck do I know about interviewing it? I interviewed Nachum Siegel a few weeks ago, like, you know, on my show. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, what am I thinking? But um, but we just we just go for things here at Jew in the City. So, you know, you'll tell me if I did okay. I The truth is that I actually interviewed you for our video, that which um, people will get to see at the event and online. But really, I wanted to bring you back on the show because we're only going to get a couple of minutes of footage for you, you know, to hear from you for that. We just get, you know, a couple minutes of each all-star. And there's so much more that you have to, to share with us today. So I wanted to get a record of your, of your story, Greg. Sounds good? Sure. And uh, also, uh, 
awkward and uncomfortable for me because I'm used to uh, picking the brains of other people and asking the questions, not answering them. But I'll do my oh, best. Cool. So we just get to make everything awkward and uncomfortable here, another one of our yeah. trademarks at Jew in the City. No, you did great. You were great in our, in our video interview, and I'm sure you'll be a great... Uh, do you ever get to be interviewed as a reporter, or you're really always on that side of the... Of the what am I calling it? The um, When I write books, I do huh. speeches, so it turns around there, and, I, and I'm the one speaking. Um, and I do TV sometimes and radio. So, yeah, when, when, when events happen, there's breaking news or stuff like that, I'll be the one who answers the questions, but I'm more comfortable asking them. Right. Okay. Well, we appreciate you uh, putting yourself in a less comfortable position for um, really for the benefit of the Jewish people. I think that's what it comes down to. As, as I hear from more and more all-stars and hear your stories, what I realize that we're cataloging such incredible stories and journeys and really opening up new pathways to people. So um, I think a lot of people have the impression that oh, the Orthodox Jewish All-Stars are a bunch of Bali Chuva and no one who is religious from birth could do such a thing, but that's not the case. What Tell tell our um, listeners a little about your uh, Jewish background growing up. Sure, I am uh, from from birth, as they say. I grew up modern Orthodox in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, not of town, guys, so maybe it doesn't qualify uh, necessarily for some of your viewers, your listeners, but uh, my parents were from Brooklyn, and my dad taught at Brown University, also a uh, the Dati guy, and uh, we moved to Providence for Brown, and I grew up there, went to Yeshiva High School there as well. It was a relatively small one at the time, um, but there it did exist, and yes, there are shuls outside the New York area. So I uh, grew up uh, Dati, and with a uh, tremendous love of Israel, and spent a lot of time there. Uh, grandparents moved there, and my father, as, as an academic, uh, meant we he, he spent a lot of time uh, abroad, and with tenure, so sixth grade, I was in Israeli school, and 11th grade, I went there as well, uh, and then summers in addition, and during college, uh, I spent a couple of semesters, I went to Brandeis University, and I spent a couple of semesters in Israel as well. So yeah, I did grow, I did grow up um, Dati, and I always figured I'd go work, work on Wall Street, like a lot of Orthodox people, and then I kind of graduated, and it was a really rough time in the markets, as, uh, I, I graduated in 1988. But I traveled for a year or so, and, and, and by the time I got to uh, Wall Street, the, the, no one was hiring. It was a tough time, and I had a diverse kind of odd background in a liberal arts school and no real uh, Wall Street background. But um, speeding things up, basically, I tried some different things and fell into journalism, and I didn't know anybody who was Orthodox and a journalist. I mean, there aren't too many people mm-hmm. out there um, for various reasons. So I didn't really have anybody to, uh, as a role model, but it sounded like fun, so... I started off a little newsletter, worked my way to the New York Post in 1996, and I was only there for about nine months when I got the call from the Wall Street Journal to, to oh, join. Oh, really? I didn't realize it was that. At the Journal ever since. Huh. So do you, did you have any sense when you were growing up as an Orthodox kid that your observance might limit you in terms of a career, or did you sort of feel like the world was your oyster or your kosher oyster and you could do anything you wanted? Like, do you remember ever thinking about that as a kid? It's a good question. I... I think I, my views were, were, were formed um, by watching my father, and he was a professor at an Ivy League school, mm-hmm. and it seemed as if you could figure it out if you were Orthodox. Um, if you're up front, you tell them um, when you can work, when you can't work, if there are food restrictions, when you go out places. I, I think if you're up front, if you're comfortable in your own skin, mm-hmm. um, I think... America, Americans in general, respect you a lot more than people that are a little embarrassed of who they are and 
and go back and forth. If you just sort of uh, lay it out there for people. So my, I guess my father did. I saw him do that. Mm-hmm. And I always had the sense that, yeah, you can manage. I never kind of worried. Although, you know, there are issues as a journalist covering news. Like I do breaking news all the time. There are issues when it comes to Shabbat and Yontav, but you can figure it out. Mm-hmm. And do you think, mo- so I know you mentioned to me that a lot of people around the journal know that you're kind of like the in-house uh, Jewy Jew. Do people figure it out when you're off interviewing them or writing your book, or does it usually kind of stay more in the background because it's not relevant, so why would you bring it up? Yeah, it's a good question. So people do realize, I don't wear a kippah at work, um, mostly because I'm the one, I made a decision early on, I'm, I'm not sure it was the right one, but I made a decision that it's about the person I interview, not about me, and if I walk in sometimes, they want to start asking me questions as a Dati person, and I really want them to focus to be on the people I interview. Um, so, and, and yet people know. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, when you take off as many days as we do, um, yeah. people realize that when you leave early for Shabbat and that in the winter, people know. And and I become sort of the in-house Jew in some ways because when they're worried about writing something that could be potentially offensive to the Orthodox community or Jews in general. They'll shoot me emails from all over the uh, Wall Street Journal empire. Greg, is this okay to say? And they're always very respectful and very sensitive. Um, so, And then when it came to interviewing other people, well, you'd be surprised. Wall Street's a small world, you know. It's a huge industry, but people know each other. Mm-hmm. It's helped me, too. You know, uh, if, if there's somebody who's, not even just somebody who's religious, but somebody who's uh, affiliated or just cares about, Judaism, I mean, listen, I'll usually take them, I'll take them to a kosher restaurant, because there are good enough restaurants, thank God, in the New York area, you can get away taking anyone there. So once you're at a kosher restaurant, you still have to explain why you're there, why you invited them to the kosher restaurant. So it, so it, gets, it gets around that I'm mm-hmm. orthodox, and sometimes people will try to use it uh, to ingratiate themselves with me, and I hate that, so they'll say, uh, I'll throw in some Yiddish phrase or something to kind of suggest that their client is also member of the tribe, and I should be nicer to them. So that usually bothers me. They're kind of like, or they could bagel you to let you know they're a member. I actually met the guy who invented the term bagel. Yeah. <laughs> who would that be? <laughs> He's a guy from uh, Montreal. He t- when I met him, he told me I invented the term bagel, so who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, nice. The tribe, obviously. Um, and what about... Um, you know, I'm thinking, I think the journal is actually quite fair in how it reports Orthodox Jews, by and large. Lucette Lignot has done a lot of really um, in-depth stories, nuanced stories. And I feel like, um, I wish other papers were as positive or as maybe fair and balanced. Do you have any thoughts about, I mean, we're trying here at Jew in the City to kind of challenge um, the ignorance when there is ignorance, but... What do you think, like, as a journalist, you're supposed to tell the truth, but is it just the reality that you, every person comes in with certain biases and it's, there's things are just going to come through for, you know, even the journalists with the best intentions? Well, I think we as a community are probably uh, extra sensitive to what we read. So I think that's part of it. But I also do think that the average reporter is a liberal is more left-leaning, and I guess now I'm talking broadly, including Israel references as well. And so, and that's partly because, you know, journalists don't make so much money. So if you're going to go into this thing, you have to really love it, and you have to care a little bit less about money. You have to care about maybe improving society and, and taking down the bad guys and things like that. 
So it lends itself to more liberal types of people. Mm -hmm. uh, the journal, obviously, we have an editorial page, which is very conservative and pro-Israel, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a different world from, from my world, the reporting side of things. And so it, it, there is a certain type of person, and maybe they're a little less oriented towards religion. I mean, there aren't many religious people in general who are reporters. You have to be skeptical. You have to be a real skeptic to be mm -hmm. a journalist. And I'm very cynical and skeptical, but, you know, I suspend some of that stuff when it comes to uh, Judaism, or I don't, actually. I, I'm, I've got my skepticism and cynicism there, too, but I work them through uh, in shul. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, there are fewer people in the newsroom who have a sensitivity to religion. I mean, they're sensitive, they don't want to offend anyone, but they don't think they have a knowledge, and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's not even just, I would say even like anything related to the arts, like I was just uh, driving through um, like Midtown yesterday, and I was seeing um, the Book of Mormon, you know, signs, uh, you know, where the theater yep. is there. And so there's an entire show just like mocking Mormons. Now, I certainly don't agree with Mormonism. I, you know, I have uh, philosophical differences. I don't believe what they believe. But it just, it's a little bit bothersome that in an age where we're supposed to be, you know, kind of allowing every different person to express themselves and be their authentic self, that I feel like especially in the arts and maybe it's certain, you know, fields where it is more of a liberal leaning type of a thing that I think what happens is people that are more liberal automatically assume that someone's part, who is part of a more traditional or conservative group is going to automatically be hateful or close-minded or backwards in their thinking. And then so they sort of do the hating or the negativity on that group or that person in the group before they've even gotten a chance to find out if the person struggles with some of the ways that tradition, um, you know, have attention with modernity. Does, does that make sense? or? Yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. I think... Uh... Um, you know, there are a few groups of people left in society that people feel free to make fun of. Uh, yeah. Catholics, they make fun of all the time, too. You say the Mormons, I mean, Catholics really have a tough time of it. I guess the Pope is changing things a little bit. Uh, heavy set people, <laughs> um, yeah. feel, people feel free to, 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 to tease. But, I, but yeah, Orthodox Jews I, maybe are, are a little uh, uh, susceptible, or, or maybe people feel more comfortable um, um, throwing throwing some jabs at us, but potentially. So now let's move into like sort of Kiddush Hashem, Chil Hashem. I think you've been learning about this a little bit. You had some thoughts that you shared with me when we did our interview. Um, what what do you think, uh, you know, kind of being known as the, you know, in-house observant Jew at the Wall Street Journal? Is it a pressure? Is it a privilege? Is it a combination? It's a combination. It, it, there's, a there's a serious responsibility because, as, as liberal-minded as my colleagues are, um, I do think that they don't know so many Orthodox Jews, so what I do and the choices I make potentially reflect on all of us. And, um, you know, uh, again, there's a reputation on Wall Street and such. I don't want to say that they all form their opinion based on interactions with me. That would be absurd. But, you know, to some extent, that is a responsibility. Forget about me, for, for all of us. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not such a big learner, but I learn once a week with a guy from Lakewood, and uh, yeah, we were learning about Chalashem um, and those kinds of issues, and it's, they're serious issues, they're really serious issues, so um, it's a responsibility that we all have in terms of trying to be a Kiddush Hashem, that's sort of why we're here. Um, so I do feel that responsibility, I'm not sure I always uphold it, and do my, I, I try to do my best. Well, I think just the fact that you care about it and that you're learning about it is the first step, as opposed to, I think, unfortunately, some people 
um, just kind of live in their bubble and sort of have, you know, an idea of like who cares what, you know, they think and, you know, it's kind of all about me and my community. So for people that have that yeah. approach, I think, um, you know, <laughs> it's not going to end well in terms of, you know, how, how people view us like that. Um, oh, yeah. Listen, as a community, we have a problem. I mean, we honor people who shouldn't be honored sometimes. People get out of jail and they get alias and stuff. If they've got money, we've got to, we have to look inward as well and, and be self-critical. And the, the respect we give uh, the wealthy who happen to be philanthropists, but maybe they didn't get their money the right way. So we've got all kinds of things we need to be working on. For sure. Um, tell us about uh, when you found out you were an all-star. Were you surprised? Did people contact you that you knew? Like, what, what was that experience like? I have to tell you, so I've written uh, a few books, and I'm on the Wall Street Journal, working here since 1996. I had front-page stories and such. Uh, but, um, and, and I get, um, you know, recognition for some of that stuff. But <laughs> when, when, when the all-star thing came out, uh, People came up to me in shul, elsewhere, congratulations, congratulations. I thought maybe I had some kid that I didn't know about or something. <laughs> so uh, I could check. And I really was sure. There was, I mean, I knew I had been awarded. I didn't realize everyone in our community and sort of elsewhere, too, they, they, they pay attention to this stuff. A lot of followers. It's, uh, it's a real intense interest. So I was very proud, and uh, I can uh, share some stories. But um, I don't know if we talked about the um, Sandy Koufax thing, but I can, I can share that as well. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, some stories would be good. And the other thing I want to ask you is, what are you looking forward to most for uh, for March thirty first for the All Stars event and the other All Stars will be there and you know our our big party? Listen, I'm a reporter, so I like to meet interesting uh, people and ask them questions and um, hear their stories and um, all kinds of people. Whoever's there, I, I like meeting all kinds of people uh, from different backgrounds. That's sort of why. I went into this business to meet interesting people and tell their stories. So uh, those kind of events are, are, are great for that purpose. All right. Well, I, I, there should be hopefully a lot of interesting people. We're expecting somewhere between uh, 8 to 10 of this year's All-Stars, trying to uh, confirm the last couple that are on the fence, um, as well as some All-Stars uh, from previous years. And I also wanted to ask you if you had any advice. You said that there's not so many... Um, orthodox people who are in, you know, journalism. So, why do you think that is? And do you have any advice for, you know, some of our younger listeners about maybe how they could get, you know, more involved in this field and what points for success they could uh, keep in mind? Sure. Well, I don't think there are many people who think about journalism for various reasons. Partly, um, we don't really think outside the box. When those of us in the Orthodox community, I think. Um, so lawyers and Wall Street guys, OT, PT, but there are all kinds of really interesting jobs out there. <laughs> doctors, too, yes, despite the whining. Uh, yes, we, we still have doctors, thank God. Um, but, you know, there are all kinds of interesting jobs where you can make a, a difference and, and have fun, have a blast. So that's part of it. Part of it is it's a very expensive lifestyle we live. It's a wonderful lifestyle. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, the whole society is looking for how to create a Sabbath. And we've got one um, that couldn't be any better. I mean, 25 hours of relaxation and no electronics. You can't even use your, your, your phone. It's, it's, it's what everyone's searching for. It's the holy grail. But that's it. It's an expensive lifestyle, unfortunately. And journalists um, don't make as much as others. So all things being equal, if you were, like, running your high school newspaper or college newspaper and 
you have a chance to work as a lawyer or as a, as a, as a, as a Wall Street guy, usually you take that as opposed to journalism, even if you love it. But I, I'm here to tell you that there are ways to, to make it happen in any kind of job. I think if you hustle and do some things on the side like I do with books and other kinds of ways, um, you can. I do speeches around the country. So there, there are ways to, to pay yeshiva tuition. Um, that's part of the reason I think as well, people haven't really pursued it. But, uh, yeah, I would encourage it. It's a great job. I mean, I love every day coming to work. If I won the lottery, I'd, I'd, I'd still come. So it's, it's, a, it's a blast. So you think the biggest challenge is the, the that it's not as much of a financial payback as opposed to some part of a journalistic uh, lifestyle not fitting in with Jewish law or Jewish observances? Well, listen, there is a debate about whether, and I've read read about it, whether I, my my job itself violates halacha. I mean, a lot of what I do is can be judged as Lashon Hara. I would argue, I would counter that um, when I write something negative about someone or a firm, it's for the greater good. It's to, to right. warn others. It's to uh, call out misdeeds. Um, it's, you know, just like anybody um, works in law enforcement. So I would counter that. And there is a halacha view I've read that it is okay for me to, to, to stay in, journal, in, in, in journalism. Um, so I don't think that's the thing that necessarily deters people. There's also a lifestyle thing. I mean, if something, again, if news breaks Friday afternoon, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I, can't, I have to pass it to a colleague. But, but again, and going back to what I said earlier, as long as you laid out for your editors and others early on when you're hired, uh, I think people hate when halfway through you, all of a sudden you tell people, oh, by the way, I can't work tomorrow or something. But I think if you, if you, when you're hired, I mean, obviously, you know, if you change along the ways and become about you, that's, that's one thing. But right, right, right. if you can't tell them early on, um, they respect that. So that's how I've um, figured things out. Yeah, others can as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, uh, you have a story where uh, something did break at a time that you weren't able to, uh, to deal with it yourself. And it's a really moving story. Nice segue. That's good. As an interviewer, you brought it right back. Yeah, so um, the biggest story of the last few years for me has been uh, this um, this whole saga at uh, a firm called PINCO. It's the biggest bond uh, trader in, in the whole financial world, and they're out in California, and, and there was a real soap opera between the number one and number two guys who were fighting behind the scenes, and I broke it all open, and I told the soap opera and did a bunch of front-page stories, and eventually the... the and, 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 and so this is my story. I did it with a colleague, but I really discovered it. And it was my baby. And then we had a three-day yontiv, uh, two-day yontiv into to Shabbos, I guess it was two years ago. And I, I was out of commission for three straight days. I couldn't even check anything. I couldn't hear anything. So um, Shabbos morning, I pick up the newspaper, like old school, pick up the newspaper in my driveway, and I see that this guy I've been writing about for a year, Bill Gross, uh, the biggest power, one of the biggest power brokers on Wall Street, had quit the day before on that Friday was was Rosh Hashanah and obviously I couldn't not only could I not write about it I couldn't even help them and they were sort of desperate at the time not desperate they were they were like we're the you know we we know where he is but we we wish he was he was here to help us but they managed and I managed and it, it was it was crazy and um, like Mark our competitors like New York Times and others kind of tweeted in a joking way that you know Zuckerman's out what's the journal going to do when this big news broke and someone said like Sandy Kovacs kind of thing but I guess it goes back to that whole theme that if you let people know early on and they respect they'll respect it and they didn't I didn't have any problems no one gave me a hard time or anything it was personal that I had to sacrifice writing about this huge story which was my baby the guy I've been writing about this guy 
for a year and his problems, and then he up and quits, and I can't even write that story. But my colleague did, and she did a great job with it, so um, we, we all manage. Is there something that you would say is kind of meaningful to see where your commitment lies? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, most Shabbos is around here. It's the best food, and, you know, it's just like a cozy time and tea after dessert and best clothes. And then one time, we have this thing about getting to places late. So we were trying to get to Lakewood for Shabbos, and, like, the parkway was, like, literally a parking lot. And we just sort of aborted our trip in the middle of it, and we went to my parents' house who live in New Jersey, but they were not there. They were, like, in Israel at the time. So we, like, we didn't break into their house. Like, they said we could go in, like, whatever. I, I grew up there. It was fine. I knew all the codes. And we, like, did a quick trip to shop right beforehand. And, like, you know, I literally just, like, went to the kosher island, just, like, you know, like, threw everything, like, you know, deli meat kugel, you know, challah rolls, like, in my bag and did the whole thing about four minutes, got to their house, came in. So we had a place before Shabbos, but we didn't know how to work their heater. And so we spent the Shabbos freezing, um, just absolutely freezing, and we were like huddling around their warming drawer for like <laughs> warmth and eating the kugel. Um, it was like so pleasurable to eat this hot kugel because the rest of the house was like Russia. And so, although it was a less pleasant Shabbos than usual, there was something that I felt proud about that like this is who we are, no matter how hard it is. Like we don't we don't quit on Shabbos. And there was there sort of a feeling like that you would say about. Um, Sticking to this, even though you know it was this big loss for you professionally. Um, I mean, I've had times I had to spend about once in a little motel in Connecticut because we weren't making it to my parents in Providence in time. And yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it the best job was ever, but I, it was restful. I brought a book <laughs> and, and we managed. But um, there is, listen to me, it's a great feeling turning off that phone, right? Yeah on the 18th minute, to be completely honest, um, and sometimes there's, like, chaos back at the office. And I've, got, I've had front-page stories, and I just had to say, for the next for Saturday's, for Shabbos paper, Saturday's paper, and the Friday afternoon, even relatively early, I have to say, I- I've got to turn it off. I'm sorry. And they're all very conscious. They're all like, Greg, when are you going off? All that kind of thing. But it's a great, it actually, actually is a great feeling for me. Um, working and killing yourself till that 18th minute, and you just turn it off, and then it's a whole different world you step into. So that's that's the, some of the pleasure I really take from it, among other things. Because the reality is that, like, if we started to, you know, say 19th minute, 25th minute, if we started to kind of move yeah. that barrier, it would disappear. It would be. It would just oh, totally, totally. One day into the next day. Well, yeah, thank totally. you so much for, um, you know, for sharing your story with us and your journey with us, and for. Just really just existing and I mean not just to be an example for people listening that they can do this, but also I'm sure you've, you know, shown people professionally in your field, you know, just that you exist and that people can be more sensitive to the needs of an observant Jew and it's really breaking a glass ceiling. You know, every all star that's in another field that, you know, no one has been before or not many people. Um, it's really a huge service to the Jewish people and I think Unfortunately, a lot of times schools only focus on like rabbis and tzaddikim and that sort of thing for our kids to aspire to, and that's great and it's fabulous. But I really think that if you know in the chinuch system, if we showed kids that there's other things that they could do to be great and to use their talents and serve Hashem and you know the world, 
um, I think so many kids that are feeling disengaged um, might, you know, feel more inspired to, to want to continue this. So really, um, you are a, a living, breathing uh, Kiddush Hashem. And um, if you'd like to meet uh, Greg Zuckerman, he will be one of our uh, honorees at the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards on Thursday evening, March 31st at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. You can get your tickets now on JewInTheCity.com. Greg is also offering an all-star package. You can get a tour of the Wall Street Journal headquarters and some of his signed books. Um, this is something that like money can't buy, but we have it for you here at Jew in the City. Um, and as we wrap up uh, the show this week, I just want to remind everyone that the 2016 JAM and the AIM Fundraising Marathon is going on now, and we need your support. Please use the link on the homepage at nachamsegel.com or go to the jamandtheam.org slash pledge and pledge your support for another great year of JAM and the AM and Nachum Siegel programming. And you can catch us here, same time, same place, next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>